Welcome back to Brit David Podcast and the conclusion of Pastor Tim's message, Questioning Jesus' Integrity. This classic teaching of rendering under Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and rendering under God the things that are God's is filled with profound truth against those who consider themselves better suited to run their own lives more than God. Just as Jesus corrected these people in Luke 20, he will correct us today. Here's Pastor Tim. Number three. They offered worthless praise. They offered worthless praise. Look down to verse number 21. When they do finally speak to him, they lay it on thick. I mean, their words are so full of sap, you'd stick your fingers together just trying to wipe the words away. You know, they start with this, you teach the way of God truly kind of, uh, kind of line with him. But in my Bible, in my margin of my Bible, at some point I wrote worthless praise. And that's exactly what they're giving him. They're offering to him worthless praise. Look at it, verse number 21. They ask him saying, teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly and that you do not show personal favoritism, but you teach the way of God truly. They're just offering him praise that doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything, does it? In fact, Jesus knows. You'll find down there in the next verse, he's going to say that Jesus perceived their craftiness as well as their wickedness. Jesus does not receive their hypocritical praise any more than he received the hypocritical worship of Cain, any more than he will receive the hypocritical worship that you offer to him. When we come in with hearts that are that are darkened with sin, with unconfessed sin, and we sing those praises to Him, and we offer those prayers to Him. Is that really what He wants? The Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. There's something that He's looking for more in worship than just your words that don't mean anything. Their words mean very, very little. They offered worthless praise. And then finally, number four, they presented a worldly proposition. They presented a worldly proposition. See, this political party doesn't have a Bible question for Jesus. They have a legal question. They have a money question. Look at what they say. Verse number 22. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's the question. Is it lawful to pay taxes for us specifically, for the Hebrews, for the people of of Israel? Should they pay taxes to the Roman Caesar or not? Now, let's do what they did back in verses 5 and 6. Remember, they kind of huddle together and they begin to say, play sort of the what-if game, you know? Because really, I mean, they've given Jesus just a, just a 50-50 shot at this, right? I mean, it's a, it's a yes and no question. So, if he says, yes, I believe that it is lawful to pay taxes then to Caesar, well, then they've They've got him. He's, he's acknowledging right there in front of all of those people of Israel the right 
for Rome to occupy them, the right for Rome to oppress them with taxes. And they were oppressing them with taxes, weren't they? He, the, they, would, they would be able to accuse Jesus of being disloyal to his own people. And then, by the way, later on down the road, they're probably then going to quote Jesus for their own political purposes. That's if Jesus says yes. If Jesus says no, that it's not lawful, well, the people around him then are going to cheer. I mean, they're going to, they're going to presume that they've got the next, the next governor, the next Caesar, maybe, the next king, and all they've got to do now is raise him to power. The revolution has started as soon as Jesus says no. If he says no... They're going to say that he is tre- that he is treasonous, that he is going to be implicated in inciting a, an insurrection. Rome is going to be forced to respond, and that doesn't bother the Herodians at all. Let them come in. Let them have a war right here where we live. As long as it ends up with Rome being in power. They think that they've got Jesus in a catch-22 situation. (laughs) I don't know if you do this. When I read through my Bible, I try to picture these things, you know? Try to picture that moment, these things that are happening, how it looks. I have to tell you, when I read this passage, when when that Herodian, when that person finally comes and gives this question to Jesus, you know what it makes me think of? Do you remember the movie A Christmas Story? When Schwartz and Flick are talking about the pole, you remember this? And suddenly Schwartz pulls this crazy move, right? To jump right from double dog dare to triple dog dare. Remember? He skipped the triple dare. And, they, and, and so there's no way now for Flick to get out of it. Do you remember the, do you remember the scene and how it looks? Schwartz suddenly is looking around and he's nodding at people. He's smiling at them. I got it. I just pulled off the most genius move of them all. I can see this Herodian. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Yep. I got him. I got him. He's done. He is backed in a corner. There is no way that he's going to get out of this. We've thought about this long and hard. Our spies have been sent out. And we know that this is the area where Jesus is the most vulnerable. So they offer him this worldly proposition that just concerns taxes. Just taxes. Something that's as regular to life for them as it is regular for us. But it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge to Jesus' integrity. And he's about to get, I mean, this guy that asked the question is in for a surprise. Because Jesus isn't going to give him a yes or no, is he? All right? So, if their mission is to convict him, what I want you to see in the balance of these verses is that his message would correct them. Jesus' message, what he does have to say, how he does answer, corrects them Thoroughly, not only in this issue of Caesar and taxes, 
but he also corrects them in their approach and what they're really trying to accomplish. This is not really about taxes, is it? It's about getting Jesus. And it's about stopping him. Just like last time, when, <clears throat> when, the, when the Pharisees, those chief priests and elders and scribes came and they asked Jesus their question. First thing Jesus said was a question. Right back to him. And he does the exact same thing here. Why do you test me? Well, if this is really a test then Jesus is about to pass with flying colors. And let me show you why. Number one, because Jesus held a perceptive insight. Jesus held a perceptive insight. In verse number 23, but he perceived their craftiness and said to them, why do you test me? He sees through them, doesn't he? He sees through what they're doing. He knows this is not just about taxes and not about Caesar and not about money. It's not even really about integrity. It's about him. It's about a test. And he sees their craftiness or what Matthew calls their wickedness. And he can see it on the inside. The Bible says that Jesus knows the hearts of all men, of all people. Jesus knows your heart. He, he knows your heart better than you do. Your heart is deceitful. Your heart, the Bible says, is desperately wicked. It will always try to lead you astray. In fact, in fact, when Isaiah writes that verse, he says, who can know it? Who can really know their own heart? The obvious answer is, is that you can't. But Jesus does. He knows your heart. He knows your attitudes, He knows your past, He knows your future, He knows your actions, He knows your words. He knows all of those things. And He knows where these people are tonight. If they have gathered to Him at His teaching, if they sang, He heard them singing, but He knows the heart behind the singing. If, if, they, if they read Scripture together, He heard them read Scripture, but He knows their heart behind the Scriptures. When it came to invitation time, he would know what's going on in them. When they passed the offering plate, he would know what's going on in their hearts. And simply ask them, why do you test me? He has perceptive insight. Number two, Jesus showed profound intelligence. Profound intelligence. Notice what he says here in verse number 24. This is not at all the answer that was expected. You know, it is, it's remarkable. It's brilliant. They didn't, they didn't see this one coming. Little Schwartz who asked, asked the question. He says, show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? They, don't, they do not see the blind side coming, so they answer him right away. It's Caesar. Caesar's the one whose image is on there. Jesus knows. His, his wisdom is immediately understandable for us. The, the, the closest thing that we have to something like this is Solomon. Remember the great wisdom of Solomon? When the two women come in and one claims that this live baby's hers and the other claims that it's hers. And so Solomon says, well, I tell you what we do. Why don't we just divide the baby? And we'll give half to you and half to you. 
And then suddenly the real mother was revealed, wasn't it? It's, it's that kind of uncanny, unexpected wisdom that you see from Jesus in his answer. He's not answering like a politician. He's not trying to avoid a question. He's not answering and yet never answering. He just makes it very simple for them. What coin do you use? And whose image is on it? All right, let's keep going. Look, if you will, to verse number 25. I want you to see that Jesus gives them practical instructions. Practical instructions. So, So here's his real answer to the question. So far, he's asked them a question. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's demanded the denarius to be shown. He's asked them yet another question. And now here comes the answer to their question about whether or not they should pay taxes. Is it lawful? He said to them, verse number 25, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. There are essentially two kingdoms in contrast here. One is the kingdom of the world. At that time and that place, Caesar was the king over it. But there's also a spiritual kingdom at work, a heavenly kingdom. And both then and now and forever, Jesus is the king of kings, the king of that kingdom. As Christians... We walk in both worlds, don't we? We walk in this world, we live this life in America where we pay taxes. That time's coming. You're about to get your W-2s this month and begin to put all of your tax stuff together so that you can get it to where it needs to go by April 15th. We understand that and it's a part of our routine. Jesus says, as long as you're living in that world, then you live in that world. There's no government that exists that he didn't allow. So is it lawful to pay taxes then if that government is oppressive? If that government is unfair? If that government doesn't belong but yet has seized power? They didn't seize power outside of the the hand of God. If that's our obligation as citizens, then those are our obligations. Can we fight against those things? Of course. But when it comes down to it, we render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But we make sure, like as Paul said, our real citizenship is in heaven. Don't perform all the obligations here and yet neglect all the needs of the spiritual kingdom, of the heavenly kingdom. If I'm going to be as regimented as I am in rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, then I need to be regimented. I need to be scheduled. I need to to be planned. To return to the Lord everything that belongs to Him. That begins with my obedience. So we're to be good citizens, aren't we? 
think Christians ought to be the very best citizens that America has. We should be good citizens. But we should be good heavenly citizens too. It's just practical instructions that come from Jesus. Then finally, number four. Jesus maintained perfect innocence. They went after his integrity and he kept it. Even in the midst of the argument. You know, you can, you can be accused of something that you're not guilty of whatsoever. But yet the way that you respond will make, may make other people wonder whether you really are what you think, say that you are. Jesus, in the midst of this coming at him, still maintains his own integrity and his own innocence. Look at verse 26. But they could not catch him in his words. Couldn't do it. Not in the presence of the people. And it says they marveled at his answer and they kept silent. Now that's a, that's a switch. <laughs> they, just don't have any, they just don't have anything that they can say. Jesus says, not been caught in his words. He's been completely himself, completely innocent and completely perfect. They don't have anything to say with that other than to marvel at his answer. You know, I love that word marveled that's in your Bible. It's, it's, it's a word that, that comes up when it's unexpected. A reaction to something that's, that was never anticipated. Something that is unbelievable almost, unexplainable even. And believe it or not, you find twice when Jesus has that same reaction, when he marvels. What could it possibly be that would make Jesus say, wow? You know, all those people that got smiled at and nodded at there in the crowd... They hear Jesus' answer, they just go, wow, that's a good answer, you know? But what is it that could make Jesus say, wow? Happens on two occasions. One time it's positive, the other time it's negative. But both times it has to do with faith. The Bible says that Jesus marveled that the Jewish people had such little faith. And then he marveled that a Gentile demonstrated great faith. I was talking to somebody this morning in the, in the shake hands line. <clears throat> and, and we got to talking about some of the things that God had done. And, and just that he had put the right people in the right place at the right time. And, and it, gave, it gave God great glory in, in, in their particular situation. <laughs> we marveled, you know. And at the same time, we said, we shouldn't be surprised. You know. But yet God seems to surprise us over and over and over again, doesn't he? He amazes me with what he can do and the way that he goes. Well, you would think getting through these two episodes that that would be definitive. That the end of this verse in verse number 26, that they kept silent, that they would maintain that. You know, we can't beat him. 
We can't trap him in his words. This, is, this isn't any good. We might as well just move on. We're just barely halfway through the chapter. And we're halfway through the questions. They're going to double down. And Jesus is just going to be Jesus. In fact, if Jesus were the roadrunner, these guys are wily Coyote. <laughs> They keep trying the same dumb things over and over again, and it fails every time. Don't be like that. Instead, just trust Him. He has integrity, and He will maintain that. Let's pray. Jesus, when I try to hold up my integrity to yours, it's, that's, that's not even a contest. But I want it to be closer I do, if you are conforming me, Father, to the image of your Son. My integrity when it comes to finances, my integrity when it comes to my words, my integrity when it comes to my action, my integrity on my job and in my home, those things should be Christ-like. This very example that we have today just reminds me of how I can live in this world and in your world and live faithfully at the same time. I pray that you'd help us to do that. For the glory of the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand together. If you need to come, then come on. If I can help you, I will. Sean, let you lead us. Pastor Tim thanks you for joining us here today on Brit David Podcast. And he would like to invite you to check out our past messages here on Britt David Podcast Library. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.